Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast where we bring you conversations with authors in these socially distanced times. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. I think it's so uh, extremely relevant and on point and um, something we all need to be talking about as Americans. Uh, This book is called Let's Talk About Your Wall. And our guests today are Carmen Buyosa and Juan Villoro. I'm gonna go ahead and introduce them in just a moment, but I wanted to say a few words about Skylight first. So if you don't know me, my name is Maddie Gobo. I'm the events manager here at Skylight Books. Uh, Right now we are open for in-store shopping. We've just expanded our opening hours. So we're open on weekdays from 10 a.m. excuse me, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then weekends, we're open 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. So we just expanded our hours um, to hopefully serve you for this wacky holiday season. Um, You're welcome to shop in-store if you wear a mask. We also are happy to offer curbside pickup um, those same hours every day. And uh, we also do shipping all over the country. Um, You can shop on our website at skylightbooks.com. All right, so we're gonna talk about the wall today. Uh, Let's talk about your wall um, is an anthology of Mexican perspectives on President Trump's border wall, curated by novelist Carmen Bullosa and Literalia editor-in-chief Alberto Quintero. This also covers the history of US-Mexico relations and the nature of citizenship and sovereignty in this wide-ranging and eye-opening anthology. Carmen Bullosa is a Mexican novelist, poet, and playwright. She is the author of 18 novels, most recently The Book of Anna, out from Coffee House Press, two books of essays, 17 collections of poetry, and 10 plays. Since the 70s, Carmen Bullosa has created and printed artist books, frequently in collaboration with Magali Lara and other Mexican artists. Recipient of the prizes Casa de América de Poesía Americana in Madrid, Xavier Villarrutia in Mexico, Anna Segers and Lee Berator in Germany, and novella Café Gijón and Rosalia de Castro in Spain. She has run, won five New York Emmys for the show Nueva York at CUNY TV and has been a Guggenheim and Coleman Center Fellow. And joining Carmen today is Juan Villoro. Born in Mexico City, Juan Villoro is a journalist and the author of novels, short stories, and essays, and he has received the Heralde Prize for his novel El Testigo. He has been a visiting professor at Princeton, Yale, and Stanford. Some of his works can be found in English. The novel The Reef, the short story collection The Guilty, 
and the nonfiction book on soccer, God is Round. Carmen and Juan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Maddie. Um, so Juan, do you want to start us off by uh, reading a bit from your piece in the, in the book? Yes, thank you so much. I will read excerpts from my uh, text. It's called Inventing the Enemy and is included in Let's Talk About Your Wall. Italian novelist Privi wrote, our neighbors, that is, our enemies. On an episode of The Sopranos, the main character of the show discovers that his neighbors are afraid of and to some extent enjoy living next door to a gangster. To feed the morbid curiosity of the household next door, Tony Soprano fills a box with sand, wraps it up, and in a confidential tone asks his neighbor to look after it. He accepts the package with a mixture of terror and pride imagining that it contains something dangerous. In a single gesture, Tony both ingratiates himself with the neighbors and poisons their lives. It's not easy to live with the other, in large, large part because it's convenient to consider, consider them inferior. Umberto Eco once took a Pakistani taxi in uh, New York. When the cabbie learned he was Italian, he asked uh, Umberto Eco, who are your enemies? Eco answered that for the time being, his country wasn't at war with anyone other than itself. His reply disconcerted the driver. A country without adversaries also lacked identity. Could the Italians be so insipid? When he got out of the cab, Eco compensated for his country's surprising lack of belligerence, giving a large tip. But a few minutes later, he decided that in reality, Italy faced a multitude of enemies, most of which were domestic, but lacked the clarity to identify them. The cabbie's chagrin was deeper than it seemed. The other can act as a target for hate and mistrust, but also, by contrast, defines who we are. Eco's essay, Inventing the Enemy, was the result of these reflections. Umberto Eco writes, having an enemy is important not only to define our identity, but also to provide us with an obstacle against which to measure our system of values and, in seeking to overcome it, to demonstrate our own worth. So when there is no enemy, we have to invent one. Unlike Italy, the United States has not hesitated to identify international adversaries in order, in order to justify its domestic policies. Nazis, communists, Islamic terrorists, and drug traffickers are the successive villains in this narrative. During Perestroika, Eduard Shevardnadze, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Soviet Union, visited the United States and said, I am going to do the worst thing that could happen to you, eliminate an enemy, eliminate an enemy. But enemies are as perennial as paranoia, and recently they are imaginary, Mexicans. According to Donald Trump, the country that inspired the adventures of Speedy Gonzalez should stay in its hole. 
On January 11, 2017, Donald Trump announced his intention to build a wall 16 meters high to prevent the influx of illegal immigrants, and he added that we, Mexico, would pay for it. Enrique Peña Nieto, then president of Mexico, said he wouldn't pay a penny. Obviously, Trump wasn't referring to the cost of the BRICS, but rather to protectionist business policies, taxing the money that immigrants sent home and deporting Mexicans, 300,000 of them imprisoned. There was nothing Peña Nieto could do, and unluckily, he had unwittingly helped Donald Trump. In the, mob, in the movie Pulp Fiction, some thugs attack a diner. Everyone freezes their arms in the air, and there's a tense silence. Suddenly, there's a sound. Someone moves in an adjacent room. Mexicans, out of the fucking kitchen, one of the thugs yells. He hasn't seen anyone. He just assumes that if there are people in the kitchen, they should be Mexicans. For decades, the United States has depended on invisible laborers to make their food and wash their dirty dishes. Like the assailants in Pulp Fiction, Donald Trump is asking them to leave their workplaces. Will they return to Mexico where their jobs were even worse? I'm leaving on the train of absence. I've got a one-way ticket. En el tren de la ausencia me voy, mi boleto no tiene regreso. Uh, that's, that's one of the most popular Mexican song, songs, songs. But the ones who are absent haven't left their homeland in search of adventure. They have followed the road of necessity and brought their culture to Chicago, LA, New York, Phoenix, and other cities. In a way, they belong to a third country, neither the United States nor Mexico, a hybrid place, Mexamerica, the portable homeland of the immigrants. Millions of Mexicans in the United States are like the ghost in the novel Pedro Paramo, half-beings, frontiersmen, who have neither documents nor places to stay. The Border Patrol didn't see them, but we didn't see them either in our own country. It's possible that the only good thing about despicable Donald Trump is that he has finally made us take notice of the hidden, the displaced, the dishwashers, the Mexicans who are now bereft of Mexico. Thank you so much. Gracias, Juan. What a terrific selection you did of your wonderful essay for this book. Um, and a little bit disturbing that you ended this reading um, giving uh, praise to an unpraiseable fellow. <laughs> but uh, very interesting how you open the door of the connections we have, the cultural connections that Mexico and the USA have uh, and have had during so many, um, during all our history. Ours is more ancient, isn't it? Yes, uh, I, I think we, we complain and uh, 
it, I think it's right that we do so about the treatment of Mexican immigrants in the United States. Duration is uh, uh, ludicrous because uh, they are jobs uh, waiting for these uh, migrants, but they don't have papers. So it's very, very difficult to understand uh, uh, this kind of economy in which uh, the, the guest workers uh, have jobs to do. And at the same time, they cannot work uh, on a legal basis. But at the same time, we Mexicans tend to forget these people. Mexicans who leave our country, they don't have uh, full rights. For example, they can't vote. Uh, it's impossible for them uh, to fulfill um, a citizenship or uh, the tasks uh, that you will consider are uh, the proper tax or tasks of anybody having um, a citizenship, either in Mexico nor in the United States. So they are illegal aliens in the States, but at the same time, they are the forgotten ones of Mexico. So I think um, it is a paradox that when uh, Donald Trump started to speak uh, uh, in such a discriminatory way about Mexicans, for the first time, there was um, a common conscience in our country that these people should belong to us and that they deserve a human uh, treatment. And we have also um, something very important to say about them, and that is that 10% of our national income comes from the revenues that these people are sending from the United States to Mexico. So we owe them a lot and we consider them ghosts, phantom citizens. And it's a terrible situation because they are ghosts in a double way. They are ghosts as illegal aliens in the United States and also as people who left their country and they don't, they don't have rights here whatsoever. So this is a terrible situation. And you were addressing also our ancient history, but I think that sometimes we Mexicans are better uh, remembering the mythologies from the past and uh, um, uh, being very proud of our, our uh, very large um, historical legacy than uh, regarding the people at the present. For example, as you know, Carmen, um, we are uh, extremely uh, proud about uh, the Indian communities, the people of the, the origin in uh, Mexico, to the extent that uh, they uh, left us these wonderful uh, pyramids and uh, uh, the museums that are full with ancient treasures. But it's very difficult to speak about the Indian communities in the present tense. It's uh, very, very uh, strange that somebody addresses the Indian uh, communities as something that has to do with the current political agenda. So we owe them as well um, something very special, and that is the dignity to belong in a proper way to the present. So I think. Uh, all this situation between Mexico and uh, America 
this uh, situation that I called in, the, in my excerpt, Mex America, is very useful, not only uh, to defend the rights of Mexicans abroad, but also to defend the rights of these people in our own country. I don't know if, if you agree with this, Carmen. Well, I agree, evidently, because it's obvious that we have that uh, racism in Mexico that has two tongues, a two-toned racism. On one side, our biggest proud is that we are, we descend from these incredible cultures that we normally just pack in one, that, that was this the empire that was the center of the Mesoamerican world. And on the other side, what is our pride in the past is in fact invisible for our daily agenda. And not only that, but sustains a system of uh, uh, something similar to slavery, of total um, in, uh, injustice in an extreme way. That is uh, absolutely true. What I find interesting of this collection of essays of um, Mexican eyes looking at the border is how much the wall uh, works sometimes as a mirror, as Juan has just uh, showed us, as you have showed us here, Juan, how you look at this hypothetical wall that is hypothetical and at the same time is very real and you use it as the mirror to look at ourselves while uh, others um, use the the wall to look at passages of our common past the 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 relationship between Mexico and the USA and how Alejandro Madrazo goes and visits the what we call the invasion of the Americans of Mexico in the 19th century and here is called in the USA is called the Mexican-American War and the use of rape what rape what did rape meant in the middle of that war and how uh, Mexico has re-elaborated this sense of something that has to do with rape and our national identity uh, and, and also every author used the wall in a different way, either jumping the wall to look at the other side, the Yuri Herrera piece, where he uh, he's, he has this phrase that is something like, speak white, how do you dare speak Spanish in, in the USA? And looks at this other side of the wall, or the case of Yasnaya, um, our, our, our author in the book too, that uh, uses the world to talk about um, the, the emigration of the Indians of Mexico into the USA and that, that other space that is not frequently visited. But in your case, yes, you used it in a way like a mirror, but also a fence, the way your essay starts with this fence in the middle of the, be in the beach touching from the crossing the sand till it arrives to the sea where in Las Playas in Tijuana they are crossing messages, families that are divided by the, by the border and are passing either dollars to help the Mexican people or things and food and that, that wall that is not a mirror 
nor a wall, but a space of a, a, a distance artificially created. Yes, I think borders have many meanings. Uh, borders can be an injury, and uh, this scene in, in Tijuana is quite moving. You know? When you go there and you see families separated by the wall, people uh, who are uh, on the other side of the wall bringing dollars to their relatives in Mexico, or they are sharing beers uh, and sandwiches through the small uh, holes in the in the wall. So it's 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 a kind of festivity, but separated by a wall. And in in this case, uh, the the wall is this kind of scar or injury that separated not only uh, two countries but separates um, families. Uh, and it's 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 one of the most dreadful aspects of uh, a border. But as you were uh, aptly saying, um, a, a wall can also be a kind of mirror because it separates you from reality and it forces you uh, to face yourself. And sometimes you see through the reflection of the wall, the wall within. You see uh, also your prejudices, your own racism, and uh, all these subjective factors that are also informing the relationship between individuals and countries. And I also uh, remember this uh, oracular legend uh, that some uh, rearview mirrors have uh, that says uh, objects in mirror are closer than they appear. Since the wall can be regarded as a mirror, it's this kind of rearview mirror that forces you to see uh, objects that are closer that, than they appear at uh, first uh, glaze. So um, it's, it's uh, quite uh, educative, quite forming to um, address an issue as this one raised in uh, the book, let's talk about your wall, because there are many different ways of understanding the meaning of the wall. But I would say that in general, all of us uh, tend to think that uh, the uh, wall is foremost a menace, is something that shouldn't be there. So it's an obstacle to our destiny. It's a, 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 an obstacle to both our countries because we have a, a, a huge relationship and there are many American writers who have lived in Mexico. And uh, I, I remember, for example, On the Road, the wonderful novel by uh, Jack Kerouac and uh, Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs. And, and not only the beat writers, but many others have been to Mexico and this country has been extremely stimulating for their literature. And I remember uh, at the, uh, in, in the 60s, there was uh, this motto, uh, God is alive and well in Mexico City. So a, a lot of dropouts uh, from the American system and uh, people who wouldn't uh, go to the Vietnam War uh, were uh, looking for refuge in, in, in Mexico. So M Mexico has been also a refuge for uh, the outcasts of the American dream. And uh, America has also had a, a strong influence in our literature. And uh, we were raised, you, 
you and me, we belong to the same generation and we were raised uh, hearing songs by Bob Dylan and, and uh, reading uh, Faulkner and Hemingway and so on. So uh, it's amazing that suddenly uh, we are speaking foremost about this terrible menace, a wall. And I think we are doing it because it's something that shouldn't exist. Uh, something that shouldn't exist and something also that um, makes uh, present or makes visible to all of us, not only what you pointed, Juan, but also the enormous distance that um, exists between Mexico and the USA. Because you have talked of the spaces of uh, um, nourishing one and another the Americans from Mexico, Mexico from the USA too. But at the same time, even though we are border in common, we, have, we, are, we are neighbors, we are in fact, as has been written many times, very distant neighbors. And since that Mexico as seen, let's say from New York, where I'm now at, is so far away seeing meaning and it's not true because we aren't that far away we are right there but it's uh, not reciprocal that um, river of cultures running from one side to the other one or they run in different heights uh, you were talking of authors that have run back and forth for us that mexican writers have read and I think also of uh, uh, not only food, music, so many things that, that have run back and forth in different levels and not always being credited as Mexicans, uh, not, not seen as a Mexican uh, presence also in the USA. So the distance, in fact, is quite, I think, enormous. And it is not only this wall that uh, the, 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 the guy we don't want to name, or I don't want to name because it makes me puke, uh, talked about, but um, more than that, it is, there's more than a gap between Mexico and the USA. Uh, there's more than just an artificial distance. There's uh, a very complex and difficult relationship, not to talk of all the territory we lost in the 19th century to the USA and the feeling we have of hatred also to the USA for deep historical reasons. Absolutely, I, I, I think you're uh, absolutely right. We have to build bridges and I think um, this kind of book uh, in which we talk about uh, the wall is a way of, of, of trying to, to build this kind of new connection with the uh, American reader. Uh, of course, there are a lot of uh, examples of uh, uh, connections between Mexican culture in a very broad sense uh, with American culture. If you think that uh, uh, the second most popular snack in during the Super Bowl Sunday is guacamole, uh, only after French fries, no? or the most popular uh, name in California is Jose, and uh, uh, we we have we are having an intermingled uh, relationship, 
and there are a lot of Mexicans that are uh, taking care of um, uh, elder people uh, in, in the United States and uh, uh, the gardeners, they, they used to, nor on the rule, they are Mexicans and so on. So, uh, for example, the, the children, they are learning Spanish in, in many places because it's very useful for their daily life. And since you are living in, in New York, you know that uh, you can use Spanish not only in, in Queens, but all over. Um, uh, 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 New York, but that's not enough. I mean, uh, something it's, uh, th that belongs more to the accidental flow of communication, but not to the mutual understanding of ourselves. So we, we have to foster other kind of relationship and we have to build different uh, bridges uh, at, at different altitudes and different levels. So we, we need acad academic bridges and we need literary ones and we need cultural ones and, and we need legal ones. Uh, yes, legal, legal ones and, and vertical ones, because um, we cannot also only relate through a horizontal division, the artificial frontier or the created frontier or the created or not created world, but also the, the, the cultural and historical rivers that have crossed and crossed uh, from the north to the south. Uh, in sometimes in very painful ways and uneven ways, and some of the time, I think of the Mexican artists that contributed so much to the New Yorker culture that are not not frequently named. Just now, the Whitney Museum finally has this exhibition on how influential were our Mexican muralists and artists in the New Yorker art scene. But it's not something frequently said. It's not like people say Pollock and immediately say, oh, well, he was influenced by Siqueiros, the Mexican artist. Or uh, we think of the Harlem Renaissance is not the instant reaction to say, oh, who brought the Harlem Renaissance to the cover of, of, of uh, Harper's magazine and, and who did all these cartoons in the New Yorker. And it's not frequent to remember Miguel Covarrubias, the Mexican artist. He's talking about the different uh, rivers to say so. I think your idea is much more fortunate than mine, but it's less economic to think of bridges than to think of rivers because mm -hmm. to make bridges is I think kind of expensive and you skip a lot of parts in a bridge while if you do rivers cultural rivers then you don't erase part of our uh, of, of this land you go you go up and down and I, there's there's so much uh, um, music or, or when I was writing my novel Texas for me it was so astonishing to see how fluid had been the Mexican culture uh, during colonial times and post-colonial times, independence times, into the south of the USA. How much, how fluid it had been and how much it had run up, not only looking for a job, no, no, no. They, they ran up carrying music and carrying um, culture and carrying customs and carrying 
wisdoms of several kinds, and it continues happening. It is it is a a, a, a cultural contribution cultural contributions of many sorts that run in fact back and forth, and the really barbarian idea of placing a wall to divide uh, as as if fear is the word you you used a very precise word and you say it brings fear into the mexican eyes but it brings fear into the american eyes too and fear is the least the less we want no i think your metaphor is better than mine carmen because uh, i prefer also the river to the bridge um, it's not common that a mexican thinks immediately um, about uh, rivers because there is lack of water in Mexico. So our metaphors uh, have also <laughs> to do with our landscape and it's, it's more uh, common uh, to imagine a bridge, but it's better to imagine this kind of fluid um, uh, communication between Mexico and the United States. And you were um, uh, talking about uh, uh, the many influences from Mexican uh, culture um, in the American culture. And I remember one of your wonderful uh, novels, uh, Texas, uh, and there uh, you survey all uh, the cowboy culture that was to a great extent, a Mexican invention. So all uh, the the outfits, the regalia, and the songs, and many things that we um, associate nowadays uh, with cowboys, they they have a Mexican background. So uh, there are many things to investigate. But uh, I, I go back to the present. I mean, the the most important thing is now to find some solutions for the present. Before September 11, there was this Mexican project to legalize uh, all the Mexican workers in the United States. The project had a funny name, the whole enchilada. Uh, of course, uh, after September 11, it was impossible to speak about uh, the legalization of uh, um, immigrants and so on. And uh, this project uh, uh, was, uh, let's say, uh, forgotten illusion. But I think that's the main issue we have to raise. There are a lot of Mexicans who are suffering on a daily basis in the United States with no rights, and they belong to the present, but they are bringing a, 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 a very strong and uh, stimulating tradition. Identities are never pure. They are a mixture of things. So but sometimes we are proud to belong uh, to a community, and rightly so. But you can only belong to a community if you are informed with many influences that come from far away. That's the mystery of identities. And we all share this kind of multicultural pool. So um, I, I'm, I'm looking for... Luckily, Juan. Uh, because yes, luckily. Purity thing really would mean it would mean that there wouldn't have been any commerce between different communities, never, uh, never learning from the others, just keeping each one its own little hammer and little stone. What makes us in reality be humans is this avidity to to see what's there with the other, the others. 
So yes, you describe it uh, more clearly than I do. Uh, you are totally right. And, and you were about to say something that I interrupted you as I normally do. <laughs> May I say a little parenthesis? No. It's so strange to be talking to you in English and in, and in, in black. Because we have had so many conversations during many years. I mean, I met you when you were a teenager. I'm a little bit older than you, and you were a kid, already working as an editor, creating. You wanted to do a wall a newspaper for the workers. You remember very well. And uh, yes. you were, I guess, 16 years old, I imagine. And all through the years, we have talked so many times but it's the very first time of our lives that we speak to each other in English. But here we are proposing to create a river. I think it's a wonderful adventure. And as you were saying, the uh, best things about identities is the, the mixture. So I think this, this river should be a river of a lot of different waters. Uh, I, I think that's the future, this kind of fluid relationship in which we can uh, swim uh, in different directions and we can bath in these waters that belongs to both Mexico and the United States. Uh, so uh, talking about rivers, I think in reality, this book is kind of a collection of uh, lots of very different rivers that cross in different uh, directions. Uh, we have even, even the titles uh, show the Claudio Lomnitz piece that says, please don't feed the gringos. The rape and the idea of Mexico, they already mentioned of Alejandro Madrazo Lajus. Esquilos and the migrants of Jan Meyer. Droplets from Paula Monaco Felipe. Um, language solidarity, how to create a force filled with words by Johnny Carr and Roman Luján. Asylum Under Siege by Valeria Luiselli and Ana Puente Flores, after the white noise of Yuri Herrera that I have already mentioned, Conversations with the Wall of René Delgado, Make Art, Not Walls of the National Human Rights Commission of Mexico, the former one, by the way, Barbarians in the Presence of Barbarians of Emiliano Monge, The Dilemma, to migrate or not to migrate by Porfirio Muñoz Ledo. Notes from El Cuartito by the terrific writer Guadalupe Metel. Well, it's a, I could go on and I think a, a wall to divide the desert is the last one by Nate Yeya and Jorge Volpis of Nomads and Heroes. So uh, it, it is a collection with so different voices that if you want to have a sip of what how how rich is Mexico culturally speaking? Maybe this book is a way to approach and 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 seep yourself in these different rivers. Well, I thank you for inviting me to the collection, Carmen, and I invite everybody to share these wonderful stories about uh, the wall. Thank you, Juan, for collaborating. You are a, 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 a star, really a star. And uh, I, it is a privilege to be in the middle of all these rivers and seeing them pass. And thanks so much to Skylight for receiving us both, um, two Mexican writers speaking in Los Angeles.
virtual space of skylight uh, talking about rivers and the soils. Thank you so much. Thank you both. What a pleasure to listen to you. Um, I, I feel like I've, I've traveled with you both today. So thank you again for making the time and for this conversation. The book is Let's Talk About Your Wall. I hope everybody listening picks up a copy. Um, Carmen and Juan, I hope you have a great day. Thank you again and uh, take care. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.